Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I just want to share a, a few thoughts with you. In the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a, a lot around uh, habits. And uh, beginning of the year typically is a time when, when uh, people make New Year's resolutions. And we've been, I've, I've been suggesting instead of making big resolutions, why don't we cultivate little habits? But little habits that we do consistently and that ultimately leads to changed lives and uh, to, to, to massive growth. So, so we, we know that little habits make big differences. That's a, th- a theme that we've been talking about throughout these last couple of weeks. And, and if we can change those little habits, then they'll, they'll end up making a big difference in our lives. So I'm going to be sharing again from, from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which says, And they devoted themselves. This is referring to the early church. This is on Pentecost, just after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it says, And they, the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And we see that the early church, were, they, they devoted themselves. In other words, they were, they were radically committed to, to four different things. Uh, the apostles' doctrine, in other words, they had habits of learning together. A fellowship, they had habits of being together, of gathering um, breaking of bread, they had habits of eating together and remembering together. And then of the prayers, they had habits of praying together. And, and, and we should have um, those habits too. So I just want to um, quickly dig into that, and I'm going to try and uh, do it in, in half an hour. And uh, we're going to look this today at, at the, the second one, the habit of fellowship. And, that, you know, it's a habit of, of being together. Now, I just want to mention this. When, when it says, and they devoted themselves, it, it, uh, it, it translates a, a very interesting word that, that's used again later on uh, in that passage. And I'll show you uh, where that is in a moment. And, um, in fact, let me, let me read it to you. So it says, and they devoted themselves. There's the word. Let me just see if I can. They devoted themselves. Uh, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. So that we, we can see that their fellowship was also on a practical level. It wasn't just getting together. It was sharing together. Um, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now it's interesting it's when it says attending the temple... The, the, the word translated attending is exactly the same word for devoted themselves in the Greek. In other words, they, they, they were radically committed to gathering. And, and notice that they were radically committed to gathering in two ways. And we see this pattern throughout the book of Acts and ultimately throughout Scripture. They were radically committed to gathering in the temple and from house to house. In big groups and in small groups. And both of those are important 
Both of those are important. And unfortunately, throughout church history, the church has often gotten it wrong and either focused on the one to the exclusion of the other or, you know, not, not given the space for both of those um, and what should happen in, in, in both of those. And we see, the, the, the early, we see both Jesus and the early church practically making this one of their habits. In, in, a, in a previous uh, sermon I, I shared with you in, in Luke 4, verse 16, it says, And as, his, as was his custom, Jesus went to the synagogue. And there's that part where he said, you know, um, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. But it says, as was his custom. In other words, as was his habit. Jesus had a habit of doing this. So, so when, when it says the early church uh, devoted themselves to or were radically committed to, uh, it, they're just following Jesus' example because he was radically committed to going to the synagogue. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 17, verse 2, it says, And Paul, as was his custom, went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. So Paul had the same custom as well. And we see here in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, which I, which I'm, which I have down there for you, it says, uh, When they, this is, this is just, I read this for you um, last time, when Peter and John, they'd just been severely persecuted by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council. They'd been f- beaten, flogged, and threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus. Now, um, just imagine you were, you know, publicly <laughs> by the leaders of a city, you know, stripped naked and then beaten with rods and with whips. You, you're probably not going to feel great. You're going to feel terrible. What would be the first thing you would do after that, after being released? Okay. I'll tell you what Peter and John's first thing was, what they did. It says, and when they were released, they went to their friends, their own, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. In other words, their knee-jerk reaction was, we're not going to deal with this alone, we're going to go to our people. Now, it says there in the ESV, their friends, and I don't know what some of the other translations translated, I didn't check, but literally in the Greek, the word is their own. Uh, And probably it refers to their own small group. It probably refers to their own small group. So, so, So here's the thing. Peter and John, they were apostles, and they had a small group. So I think we should, we should have that too. We should also have our own, our own people, our own small group, that whatever happens to us, we can go and share it with them and pray. And, and we remember the, the powerful prayer that follows on this, where they pray and they quote Scripture, and the building is shaken, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all of them, and God just does amazing things. Um, and, and that is, um, you know, that, that is what all of us should have. Now, the, the word there, when it says... And they devoted themselves. Um, is, a, is an interesting word. It's proskarta uh, runtes. And what, what Luke does here, and excuse the, the little bit of grammar, but he does something interesting here in order to highlight the fact that this is a continuous thing. They continuously and regularly commit themselves. He, he doesn't make that a word a verb. He, in fact, inserts another verb. He says, and they were, but they were being. So he train, changes that into a being verb, a, a it's called a participle. He says, they were being continuously devoted. So he changes the grammar and makes it a bit awkward, actually. But, but he does that in order to highlight that they continuously did this. It's not just something they did once off. It's something that they continued to do. And that's why we say it's a habit. They had a habit 
of getting together. And, and we see, I mean, when, when you've just been, you know, whipped and beaten with, with rods and stuff, publicly humiliated, you know, you, you don't, you know, in that situation, you, you're not going to sort of think, okay, what, what should I do? You know, what's the right thing to do? You know, what, what's the, you know, what would be the thing that will, will make me look good? Or what will make the, be, be the thing that... No, you just do whatever's in your heart. You know, at that stage, you're in too much pain to sort of think straight. So whatever is an established habit, that's what comes out. And, and what came out with Peter and John is they went straight to their own, to their own people, and they prayed. So you can see practically these habits playing out uh, in, in the lives of, of, of the apostles. So a habit is what you've repeated so many times and so regularly that you do it basically automatic without thinking about it as a knee-jerk reaction. You know, sort of, we talk about a knee-jerk reaction and reflex. You know, when you go to the doctor and he wants to test your reflexes, it makes you sit down, he takes that little hammer and he, and he hits you on your knee and your knee kicks out by itself. Now, now a habit's a bit like that. You know, there's a trigger, a cue, and when that cue comes, it's like the, 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 the doctor eating you with a hammer, you know, and, and then your muscles respond by themselves, okay? So a habit is something you've done so many times that psychologically and, and physically you just automatically respond when, when, that, when that hammer eats. And, and that's what, what um, Peter and John did. They, they, they had this knee-jerk habit of, of fellowship. So when, when something went wrong, their knee-jerk reaction was to go to their own, to their own people, and to pray. So what I, what I want to say to us is habits are powerful things. You, you cannot, the good news is you don't have to always concentrate to do the right thing because that becomes tiring, that becomes draining. The good news is that if you start doing the right thing, even if it's just in little steps, eventually doing the right thing becomes a habit. It becomes a knee-jerk reaction. It becomes automatic, so you don't have to concentrate on it, and it just becomes part of who you are uh, and what you do. So that's the place we're working towards. Now, I just want to share with you another scripture which I've preached on before, and some of you might have heard this, but um, it's, it's so powerful. I just want to do it again, and it makes this point so powerful. It's Acts, uh, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, and it says the following. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit. See, there's our word, habit. As is the habit of some. But encouraging one another, and all the more as we see the day drawing near. And, and we, just four things that I shared last time, and I'm going to share again, that, that sort of is brought out in this text. Um, firstly, when, when, they, when we want a habit of fellowship, there are four things we need to do according to the Scripture. Firstly, there's preparation. He, he starts off, when, when he starts off and he talks about fellowship and, and gathering together, he, he doesn't start with a meeting and the gathering and what you do there. He starts before that. And he says, prepare yourself. Consider. Let us consider before the meeting how we can encourage, stir one another up to love and good works. So preparation. Okay. Then the second one is presence. Not neglecting to gather together as is the habit of some. In other words, in order to, you know, have fellowship, obviously you, you need presence. You actually have to be there. Okay? Thirdly, so preparation, presence. Thirdly, uh, he says, um, stirring one another up. First you have to consider how to stir one another. Then obviously you have to stir one another. Encouraging one another. In other words, participation. And, and, and I'm going to show you how that participation is actually a lot deeper than we realize. And a lot more, a lot more powerful than we realize. And then finally, perspective. 
as we see, all the more as we see the day drawing near. In other words, we do it from an eternal perspective, in, the, in light of the day, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of his return, and it's coming closer every day. In other words, there's an eternal perspective from which we do it. So let's quickly go through, through those things. Um, I'm not going to take long. So our fellowship start, starts before our gathering. Okay? We, we must... Firstly, this, when it says, consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, it assumes that we're coming together as imperfect people who don't always love and who don't always do good works. So if your small group's not perfect and they sometimes irritate you and they sometimes work on your nerves and they sometimes rub you up the wrong way, then this scripture applies to you. (laughs) Because you wouldn't have to consider how to stir people up to love and good works if they were constantly, you know, doing everything out of love and doing good works, okay? So so this is good news to us. This is people we can relate to. This is people like us, in fact, okay? Okay? Um, Secondly, it says consider... How to stir one another up. And that word consider is think about. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures because I don't have time. But there, there's the, in, in, in Hebrews 3 verse 1 it says, um, you know, consider or behold or consider Jesus Christ, the captain of our faith. And it's look deeply at him and reflect on him. That's what we sang about. Behold the Lamb of God. Looking at him, gazing at him, but not only gazing at him, but thinking about it. In, in Luke's gospel, in Luke 12, 24 and 27, for those of you who are taking notes, Luke 12, 24 and 27, it says, consider the lilies of the valley. Okay? And it's not just look at them, but think about what it means. Because it says, not, not even Solomon in all his riches and, and, and glory was dressed like one of these, and, he, and, and, and yet God clothes them, the, the, the lilies of the field. Are you not... More well. if, if he so clothes the lilies which are there today and gone tomorrow, how much more will he take care of you, O you of little faith? So look at and think about. So, so this means that in order to prepare, to do our preparation for fellowship, we must actually think about the people that we're going to fellowship with. So this means that we're not only thinking about Scripture. Obviously, we must think about Scripture. But we must actually think about the people that we're meeting with, the people in our small group. Study them. Look at them. Consider them. And then think about them. What are their strengths and what are their weaknesses? What has God called them to do? Think about Natasha and how will Natasha specifically tend to say not love or drift away from good works. And you think... <laughs> then, then you can say, okay, how can I encourage Natasha? How can I stir her up? And that word stir up means provoke or activate to action. Okay? So how can I activate her? How can I stir her up to love, more love and more good works? Her specifically. What's going to encourage her? What's going to help her to love better and to obey God better? So you really have to think about people. That means that you really listen to people, you observe people, and you meditate on them, and you pray for them, so that when the time comes, you can consider how to stir them up. You're going to know. You know them well enough. So, so we must be a people. If we want to have fellowship, we must be a people who pay attention to people. You pick up on Natasha and her habits. You pick up on what she says and how she says it, with what emotions you read between the lines. Now, I'm not good at this. 
I, I admit that. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you. I'm not good at this. I'm, <laughs> my emotional th- intelligence is not as high as most of you. So for many of you, that comes naturally, and you do that automatically. But for some other people like me, you actually got to concentrate. Like, you know, reading the Bible in Greek is, is easy for me, but reading people... Not so easy for me. <laughs> so you have to put in, people like me have to put in more effort. But, but God commands us to do that. And you know, I, I, I was just reading the Bible one day. I was um, reading, um, I can't even remember which of the Gospels was it. I think it was maybe Mark or one of the Gospels. And, and, and it says, it, it was talking about just a list of the apostles. And it talked about Peter, we, uh, Cephas, whom he called Peter, which means rock. And then James and John, who he called the sons of thunder. And I was thinking about it. What kind of person gives nicknames to the people that he knows? The kind of person who actually observes them and can pick up something about them. Something really telling. Jesus was a great observer of people. Jesus didn't only study scripture. I mean, he studied scripture so much so that when he was tempted in the desert, he could quote it. Chapter and verse. When he was hanging on the cross, being tortured to death, he bled scripture. That's how well he studied scripture. But he also studied people so well that he could give them nicknames that really brought out who they really were. And that actually encouraged them. Cephas means reed, easily blown by the wind. Peter means rock, stable and strong and steadfast. So preparation. Um, how can we encourage one another to love and good works? And, and just notice, love and good works, it's the, the motive, love, for what we do, and good works, what we ought to do. So doing the right things, good works, for the right reasons, love. So th- that's what we should encourage one another in. So preparation. The second one um, is uh, presence. We, we must actually just be there, not neglecting the gathering of yourselves together. Uh, and the, the word gathering there is, is epi-synagogain. Now you can hear the prefix epi, and then the, the word that sounds like synagogue, synagogain. And, and, and that's where the word comes from, from synagogue. Synagogue was the place where the Jews gathered together to worship. And, and it's, it's, it's based on that same word. Um, and, and he's writing, it's a letter to the Hebrews, he's writing to Jewish Christians. So he's saying that, He's talking about gathering together to worship specifically. So the fellowship that we have is a fellowship that's focused on God, on worshiping God, on His Word, and, and on, on, on Him and on worshiping Him. So um, it's interesting. The same word, episynagogain, is used when it talks about, in, for instance, um, 1 Thessalonians 2. I think I wrote down the scripture here. Yes, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse, sorry, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. The same word is, is used when it talks about Jesus at the, at, on that day gathering us together. He will, it, exactly the same word, episunagogain. He will gather us together to himself. And, and here's the amazing thing. When we gather together, and that's why it says not neglecting the gathering of yourselves together. When we're gathering together, we are, as it were, prophetically pre-enacting what Jesus is going to do for us when he returns. What he's going to do with us when he returns. Every time we gather together like this, or in small group, we are pre-enacting what Jesus is busy doing with us and what he's going to do on the last day uh, with us. And <clears throat> I've got a little quote here that I 
um, shared last time as well by Tony Payne. He says, none of the important things God has for you to do every week at church can happen if you're not there. Profound, right? (laughs) It's so obvious it's actually profound. None, the same applies, for instance, to small group. None of the important things that God has for you to do every week at small group can happen if you're not there. And, and, and we just have to develop the habit of just showing up, just being there. Even if you're tired, even if you feel like you don't have anything to give, even if you don't feel like it. I mean, people who make a success of life and who really accomplish, they don't just do, they, they don't just practice when they feel like it. I, I remember... Um, you know, Wade van Ikak won the, the 200 meters at the Olympics with a new world record breaking um, Michael Johnson's world record that had stood for, stood for decades. And Michael Johnson actually wasn't the most talented runner. I mean, it's not like, I mean, you look at Usain Bolt. I mean, Usain Bolt is built to run fast. He was tall. He was like, what, six foot six? How tall was he? He was quite tall, but taller than your, your average sprinter. Built muscularly, long legs. I mean, everything was just going for him. <laughs> Um, Michael Johnson, those of you who saw him, he was, that, he was quite short. He had a big like, lower lip, and, and he used to run like, with his chest out like this. He had a, his stance was a little bit too upright. You know? So he, 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 he was not a Usain Bolt. He didn't have everything physically going for him. He was, he was too short to really be a great sprinter. And yet he, he held the, the world record in the 200 meters and the 400 meters for a long time before anyone broke it, before Usain Bolt broke the 200 and, and um, weighed... weighed um, broke the, the 400-meter world record uh, for decades, actually. And many people, and, and his coach said that the main reason why he's so good and why he's breaking world records and, and why he's such a great champion, even though physically he had, hasn't got everything going for him, is because he always shows up. He said days, there, there'd be days where it's raining and, you know, no one else would show up on the track. And then he said, go out to the, to the track and you'd see uh, Michael doing his exercises. Exactly the same as, as the other days when, when it's not raining. He said, there'll be a storm, and he'll be out there, and he'll be practicing. And he says, that's why we're such a great champion. Just showing up. Just showing up regularly, all the time, being there. That's one of the most powerful things that we can do. Um, the, the problem, he says, not neglecting the gathering of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. The problem is not only does showing up become a habit, but not showing up also becomes a habit. And the not showing up habit is easier to develop, unfortunately. <laughs> because it's easier just to lie in bed or just to watch Netflix or just to you know, do whatever else. It's much easier. Right? Um, there was a coach, uh, Vince Lombardi, he said, um, winning is a habit. And then he said, unfortunately, so is losing. And, and he says, don't neglect the gathering of yourselves together because it becomes a habit to neglect that. And, and there, in fact, let me move on. I don't have that much time. Now, they, 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 they've done some research and they've found that, that just people spending time together, just by being in one another's presence, their brain waves actually start sinking and harmonizing. And you inevitably become like the people that you spend time with. Okay? I mean, research has, has, has found this. In ways that we don't even understand, we become like people that, 
that, that we spend time with. Now, some of you might say, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are you trying to encourage me to go to small group or discourage me? I'm not so sure I want to become like the people in my small group. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm sure they, they, they're not so keen to become like you either. But <laughs> but here I want to jump to my third point. Preparation for gathering, presence, actually being there. And the third thing is participation. And it says, consider how to stir one another, provoke one another to love and good works. So then you have to actually, when you're there, participate and actually stir one another up, do that, encourage one another. It's so easy to become discouraged. Okay? I, I, I once saw a little picture on the internet where it says, um, I encourage, what is your superpower? Okay? Encouragement is a superpower. You know? If you can encourage people, you can... It's, it's, I always think of this picture when I think of encouragement. Um, during this week, we had a meeting with um, Trevor and Sharon about kids' church, and they were talking about how, how, to sort of how they train you know, people for, for, for kids' church and, and how it's easy you know, when, you, when you get something wrong to become discouraged. Um, and and um, Sharon used this, this funny term that we really laughed about. She says, you know, and someone's busy teaching, and they all of a sudden get a flatty. <laughs> now... Now, she meant like a flat tire, you know, and when you get a flat tire, you sort of slow down and so on, but, but you can also get like a flat battery, you know, it's like when you, when, you get, when you get discouraged, it's like when you're driving your car and your battery goes flat, it just dies. And what do you need then? You need someone with the other car to come with jumper cables to connect their battery to your battery and to give you that jump start that you need just to get going again. And discouragement is like getting a flatty. It's like your battery, your heart going flat. And then you just need someone to come and encourage you by connecting those jumper cables from their battery to your battery, from their heart to your heart, and just to give you that jump start to get you going again, to activate you again, and to get you running again. Uh, and we all need that, and, and we must participate in that. But, but here's the thing I want you to get. Um, in in the, the, the previous verse, the one in, in Acts... Notice it says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, I'm using the ESV, which is a more literal translation. Some of you, like the NIV, would just say fellowship. But literally in the Greek, it's the fellowship. And, and this is important. You, you really need to get this. It says the fellowship. Why does it say the fellowship and not just fellowship? In other words, there's a sense in which every single church meeting all across South Africa and, in fact, the world today, right now, we are participating in, not in fellowship, but in the fellowship. There's one specific fellowship that we're participating in. And you know what fellowship that is? It's the fellowship, the fellowship, the ultimate fellowship that has been existing for eternity past. The fellowship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Trinity. Um, I'm, not, I'm not going to read it now, but in those of you taking notes, can just write down 1 John 1 verse 3, I think, yeah, where it says, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Same word, koinonia, that is used there. And was, there's a fellowship that has been existing, and, and that's what makes God, our God, the God of the Bible, unique. He's fundamentally one, and He's also fundamentally three. He's a divine family. His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And for all of eternity, he's been experiencing koinonia, which is referred to as 
the fellowship. And we are invited into that fellowship. So when we get together, it's not just us getting together with one another. It's us corporately entering into the fellowship, the koinonia of the Trinity of God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're entering into the fellowship which has existed for all of eternity, and we're becoming part of it. And that is the fellowship that you're missing. Now, obviously, there's a sense in which we, if we're in Christ, we're always part of that fellowship. But when we get together, we are particularly, according to Scripture, expressing that fellowship. We are saying, just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even though they, there's a diversity, there's a, they, they, they are three and they, they are different in terms of function, they, they are one and incomplete, perfect fellowship. So we, even though we are different and diverse, we get together and we actually become part of that fellowship. And if we neglect that, getting together, gathering of ourselves together, we are actually neglecting that fellowship, the fellowship. We are not showing to the world that we are one as he is one and we are fellowshipping as he fellowships and we are sharing in his fellowship. Can you see how profound and how powerful this is? Now, I just want to emphasize this. The reason why we can enter into the fellowship is because the fellowship was broken for us. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you broken fellowship with me? And of course, he, he was quoting scripture. He was, you know, quoting Psalm 22 when he said that. But the reason why... He knew the answer, and the answer was, uh, in Hebrews, actually, in, in chapter 12, if you read on from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, you get to chapter 12, where it says, um, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for, um, you know, who, who endured the cross, despising the shame, um, and it talks about, for the joy that was set before him. For the joy that was set before him. And what was the joy that was set before him? On the one hand, it's the joy of pleasing the Father and having... Um, you know, the glory that he had with the Father in eternity past restored. But that was something that he already had. Okay? But what he didn't have was us being part, being brought fully into that fellowship as well and enjoying it as well. And that gave him joy. Why did Jesus, why did God break the fellowship in the Trinity on the cross? So that we can share in that fellowship. Can you see how important it is to him? Can you see how committed he is to it? He is radically committed to the fellowship, and therefore we should be too. I mean, when I look at it that way, I realize I don't take this nearly, nearly seriously enough. To me, it's just going to a small group or coming to church. I realize when I read scriptures like this, it's a lot more than that. I treat it as something every day when it's something sacred, deeply special, profound, something that the world needs to see us doing, participating. And when we participate uh, in the fellowship, what does God want to do? He wants to provoke us, encourage us to love and good deeds. You know, it's to become more like him, to do what he does, good deeds, and to do it for the reason that he does it, love. The reason why he does all these good things in our life is because he loves us. And then finally, and I'm sorry I'm taking a bit long, but I think this is important. He says, uh, perspective, you know, especially all the more as you see the day Approaching. In other words, we must have an eternal perspective. How will we be judged? 
So often we're tempted to think that our day job is the most important part of our life. And, and don't get me wrong, that is very important. But I want to submit to you that no matter what you get right in your day job, even if you're doing what God has called you to do, unless you get this right, very little of the other things that you did will matter. Now, it doesn't mean you must choose one or the other. It means we must do both. Unless we are committed to the fellowship, it, it won't really matter at the end of our lives what else we have done. And that's why it says, all the more as we see that day coming, because on that day, Jesus will, will judge us. And he'll say, he wants to say to us, good, well done, good and faithful servant. You participated in what I was doing in the world by participating in the fellowship, my fellowship with my people, and provoking, encouraging them to love and good deeds. Um, then also, um, on the day, what will happen on the day? Now, th this is also very important. It says, we don't know what we will be, but this we know. When we see him, we will be like him. We'll be like him in love, and we'll be like him in good works. So, when we partake in the fellowship, we are actually encouraging in one another what will inevitably happen on the day. We're saying, I'm looking and I'm seeing what you will become and what you will be like on that day. And I'm encouraging you right here and now to already become it. C.S. Lewis, and I, I didn't look up the quote now, but he has this amazing thing. He says, you know, the, the most broken, the most ugly, the most, you know, low and base person among us will one day, when we see Christ, when we in the twinkling of an eye change to become like him, become such glorious beings that if we were to see them today, we'd be strongly tempted to fall down before them and worship them. And, and, and when we share in the fellowship, we, in, especially in the light of that day and what they will become that day, we can look past our brokenness and, and the things that irritate us about one another and, and our sins and our shortcomings and all those things. We can look past that and see in the light of that day what this person will become on that day and say, I want to encourage them to start becoming it now. More and more. I want to encourage them to love and good works. I want to encourage them in other words to be more like Christ. And obviously, you know, as we see the day coming closer, it talks about, um, it talks about urgency. We don't have forever to do this. We only have as long as we live to reach those who live while we live. We don't have forever. And then, like I said, you know, the same word of gathering together is used for Christ on that day, gathering us together. In other words, our participation is in anticipation. Our participation in what God is doing now is in anticipation of what God will do on that day. And that encourages us. We are partaking, we are participating in the fellowship and in the ministry that God is doing in one another's lives. We are participating in, in anticipation that it will inevitably be completed. What you do when we gather together in the fellowship will not fail. It will not fail. Because Jesus, on that day, is going to come back and complete the good work that he started in us. And that is encouraging. And we can encourage one another in, with that and say, be encouraged. Yes, you're struggling. 
Yes, you're struggling to overcome the sin. Yes, there's this bad habit that is preventing you from consistently applying the good habits that we're talking about. But be encouraged. You know, there's hope. Ultimately, God will complete the good work He started in you, but, but He's going to give you the grace even now to start living that way. Even now, and you can do it, and we're going to help you do it. We're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you, you know, and let us do that. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to ask us to, to, to do something um, a bit different from usual. I want us to quickly, uh, I'm not going to pray for you, but I want you to pray for one another. So I want you to, to just gather in your small groups. Some of you might already be sitting in your small groups, and that's great. If you're family and so on and you, you don't have a small group, um, you can just gather together as, as family. You know, if you came here for the baby dedication, those of you in the congregation and who maybe don't have a small group yet, I'm just going to ask you, can you just look there behind you, there's Shana and, and Handre. If you guys can just go to Shana and Handre, and they're going to sort of lead you in prayer as well. And, and what I want us to do is just pray for those four things. Preparation, presence, participation, perspective. And just say, let's just ask God to help us to grow in those things as we gather together. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.